This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, I'm Grace Ho, Opinion Editor for The Straits Times. You're listening to In Your Opinion, a podcast series by The Straits Times that takes a hard look at social and political issues of the day. In the last episode, we talked about curbing the use of flavours in tobacco products and raising the minimum legal age. But there's an even more fundamental approach, which is to ban the sale of tobacco to people born after a certain year. This is commonly called the Tobacco-Free Generation Proposal, or TFG. Here to explain what this means and whether it's possible to do this in Singapore is Emeritus Professor John Barrett of Yale and US College. He's also an honorary professor at University of Sydney and an adjunct professor at Western Sydney University. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Grace, and thank you for the invitation. Professor, when and where did the Tobacco-Free Generation Proposal, or TFG, idea originate? Well, it was while working at NUS that I first came up with the idea in the early 2000s. And in 2005, I took it to the director of the National Cancer Centre. He passed me on to his deputy. That's the lung surgeon, Dr. Kung Heng Nung. And he'd worked with the Ministry of Health previously to prevent smoking in restaurants and bars. And that, that had been a successful campaign. So then uh, I guess the next step was in 2007, he arranged for some questions on TFG to be included in a public opinion survey that he was doing. So that survey showed over 70% public support in Singapore for the, the TFG idea. So then we wrote it up in an academic journal. That was in 2010 and presented it to a major international tobacco control conference that was being held in Singapore in 2012. That caught the imagination of a lot of public health experts around the world. And, uh, well, I guess the ideas just continued to bubble away since then. Right. And in tandem you know, with this TFG proposal um, has been you know, many other policy moves that Singapore has made in the last decade, including banning the sale and use of shisha, uh, emerging tobacco products like smokeless cigarettes, e-cigarettes and vaporizers, uh, bumping up the excise duty for tobacco products and raising the minimum legal age for smoking. So given all these measures, why would it be important for Singapore to still consider the TFG approach? So for example, why not just keep raising the minimum legal age? Sadly, there continues to be a significant number of young people who are starting smoking. Uh, there are even some subgroups like teenage girls where it's on the increase. I think a big part of the problem is that currently we have these minimum age laws. So in particular, smoking is forbidden to those aged under 21, but it's allowed for everyone over that age. Now, the tobacco industry is very keen on, on minimum age laws for, for tobacco. So I think we need to understand why. So what, what are the messages that they send teenagers? First, that smoking can't really be so dangerous if we allow it for all adults. And second, that if you want to appear to be grown up, then be seen smoking. It's what the tobacco industry referred to as a, um, a symbol of coming of age. So given that messaging, it's not surprising that teenagers continue to be lured in, into these tobacco products. 
So instead, I think we need to take control of the messaging and make it clear that there's no safe age, no safe age for tobacco products. Um, well, you know, tobacco kills more people than traffic accidents, murder, suicide, alcohol, and other drugs combined. So, so logically, what we should be doing is just adding it to the list of prohibited substances. For example, in the United States, they have a Food and Drug Administration that every year prohibits hundreds of substances, and these are never heard of again. So it sounds as though logically that's what we should be doing for tobacco. However, there's a problem with that approach, and the problem is that the nicotine in tobacco is highly addictive. So some experts reckon that nicotine is as addictive as heroin and cocaine. So way more addictive than, say, alcohol or uh, marijuana. So therefore, if you took tobacco off the market overnight, the big question is what would happen to these people who are already depending on that nicotine? So that, that would be the big problem with an overnight prohibition. So the solution to that problem is to allow people to, those people who are already dependent on the nicotine, to be sold tobacco products, but make sure that the retailers don't take on new customers, say the people born after a certain year. So for the message you're sending to, to the teenagers is there's no safe age, and the message you're sending retailers is no new customers. Yeah, so it's just that those young people, the ones who are too young at the time you introduce this to have begun to smoke, they then become the tobacco-free generation that we're talking about. Has THG been tried anywhere? First of all, there was a version for opium smoking that was successfully introduced early last century in some Asian countries. Uh, the, the two most notable examples were British-controlled Ceylon, as it was called then, and Japanese-controlled Formosa. And in both of those cases, it's been well documented that uh, it was very successful. And in fact, a a number of Asian countries took it to a Geneva conference on opium that took place in the 1920s, and they were pushing that idea then. There were some European countries that um, were profiting from the trade, and so they opposed it, and also the the US opposed it because they wanted outright prohibition. They were in prohibition mode at that stage. Um, then f- for tobacco itself, uh, Dr. Kung, whom I mentioned earlier, took the idea to Balanga City in the Philippines, and they adopted TFG in 2016. Uh, and that was successful, but uh, led to the tobacco industry taking them to court. But we'll, we'll see where that that ends up. Then in the USA, there's a district of Boston that introduced TFG a year ago. So that, that's been running for just under a year now. And once again, the tobacco industry's made a legal challenge, claiming it's incompatible with the state law. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's continue the conversation with my guest. Right. And and one of the biggest pieces of news recently is that New Zealand is the first entire country to carry out TFG. 
in, in New Zealand, it will continue to be illegal to sell combustible cigarettes to anyone born there after 2008. But how easy or difficult is it to actually carry this out? And as an observer, what would you be looking out for in assessing whether or not New Zealand is successful in its attempt? Yeah, good question. Well, actually, amusingly, there seems to be a bit of a race on at the moment between New Zealand and Malaysia to be the first. And Malaysia has a, a cut-off date planned of 1st of January 2007. But for New Zealand, a big problem they have is that unlike Singapore, they don't yet have rigorous licensing for tobacco retailers. So part of their plan is, is to introduce that. The, the, I think they, their estimate is that they have about 8,000 outlets at the moment that, that sell tobacco, but they're intending to reduce that to about um, 500. That would make the law much easier to enforce once, once they've got those, those licensed outlets. So the, the idea is the law doesn't punish smoking, it doesn't punish possessing cigarettes, but what it does punish is selling them to the tobacco-free generation. Right. And I also understand that New Zealand hasn't banned vaping. So presumably that would also be another issue with the approach. Yes, for, um, for New Zealand. Yes, that's true. So that, that's going to be an issue. There have been suggestions that they should, not necessarily immediately, but in time, they should um, align the vaping uh, legislation with that for, for tobacco. Right. So let's say Singapore does implement TFG. What would tobacco-free generation in Singapore look like, for example, from which year you know, do we ban this? Well, there's a, there's a bit of a trade-off. As I said, Singapore has a great advantage in that they've already got licensing of, of retailers in place. So that makes it easier to enforce a law that just that bans sales to those born from a certain year. What year? Well, I think in, in an opinion piece in the Straits Times, you suggested 2000, 1st of January 2010. Um, New Zealand saying 1st of January 2009. Malaysia thinking in terms of 2007. So the later the year that you make, the fewer youngsters who are already dependent on nicotine. So in that sense, it's more likely to be affected. On the other hand, obviously, one would like it to be as soon as possible so that you, you have some effect soon. So it's, it's a trade-off between those two. Um, if you introduce it too soon, then you're going to have some people who are nicotine-dependent and you have to think of how to handle that, that problem. So your suggestion of 2010 may, may well be uh, the optimum. Right, and that it gives people some time to adjust. So I'd like to move on to another example, um, which is Balanga City in the Philippines, which you'd be familiar with. And it introduced the tobacco-free generation in 2016. Now, for our listeners, what this meant was that it banned the sale and use of all tobacco products and electronic nicotine delivery systems for those born on or after January the 1st, 2000. But what happened next was that the tobacco industry then mounted a legal counterattack, saying that it was inconsistent with national Philippines laws. And I could imagine that if TFG were implemented in another country, the tobacco industry would also respond in a similar enthusiastic fashion. 
So what's your view of the relative strengths and abilities of governments and the tobacco lobby to push their agenda? And do you think that this whole idea of a tobacco end game, right, where we no- denormalize and stamp out tobacco use, can be achieved within the next one or two generations, given you know, the challenges? Yes, it was interesting the tobacco industries um, mounting that challenge because they di- they didn't do it in advance of um, the 2016 ordinance. Uh, it was some time after when they were seeing that actually they had time to see that the policy was proving successful and so successful that there were other re- nearby regions in the Philippines that were intending, to, had announced their intention to introduce a similar policy. So the, uh, they could see that there was a danger that um, this was going to get out of their control. Uh, so then... Um, what they said, as you as you say, that uh, their claim was that it was inconsistent with national laws. That uh, obviously that's not a, a problem for Singapore, but um, unfortunately it's a, pr- a pretty safe bet from its record on other issues like standardised packaging, for example, that the tobacco industry will challenge uh, any law that that threatens their their huge profits. And they'll use any means to do so, whether legally or otherwise. So, for example, one non-legal method they've used in the past is to push contraband cigarettes. And in the US, in in North America, they, for example, they were successfully prosecuted for for doing that. So they often talk about illicit tobacco, but what they don't say is that it's actually the tobacco industry themselves, the big manufacturers themselves, who are very often the ones who are behind this contraband tobacco. But so wh- why do they do this? Well, I mean, obviously they feel threatened, but they often mount these legal challenges without any particular prospect of success. So, for example, they mounted several legal challenges against Australia's move, move to be first for plain packaging and they lost all the the legal challenges. But it's still worth their doing it if they feel that incurs a large cost for the the country that introduces the law. Um, It takes takes some money to go to these courts, takes up their resources in terms of lawyers and so on and public servants that have to to organise these things. But also something they're very conscious of, I think, is the message they're going to send out to other countries, perhaps countries who are less able to afford this, that to try to intimidate them. So as an affluent country, Singapore actually does have the ability to stand up. So if they do that, if Singapore does stand up to them, then Singapore has the potential within a generation to achieve its tobacco-free status. And with that, they would actually become the nation with the world's greatest life expectancy. So to be number one for life expectancy. And when, when you th- look back and think about Singapore's humble origins, that would be a fantastic achievement. And one of which I think all Singaporeans could be proud. And on that note, thank you, Professor Barrick, for coming on our show. Thanks very much, Grace. I was glad to have that opportunity. And that's a wrap for In Your Opinion, the podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Grace Ho. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles 
or check out the opinion section of The Straits Times. We have links in our podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.